Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome to episode 136 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to go 12 rounds of fun discussion, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Hello. This week and next, we are really excited to discuss Creed and Creed II, the latest iterations in the Rocky universe. But before we get into that, Aaron, you have recently done a rewatch, and in maybe a couple of cases, a first-time watch, of the Rocky franchise. And if I know you, like any good franchise, you're going to have some rankings for us. So I think we both kind of had an agreement of sorts to say, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Let's compare notes. Let's see where these movies fall in terms of our rankings, shall we? Man, I am so hyped from that walkout music, and I am ready to go. I have enjoyed every second of this viewing series that I've done. And you're right. I am the guy who will rank everything. I rank my meals every single day. I mean, <laughs> you know, breakfast is usually the best. Anyway, I won't continue. But the point is, yes, I did definitely rank them. And this was incredibly tough. And I was torn because when I saw how good these films really were, I wanted to be able to talk about them individually, quite a few of them with you. And so I, I don't want to go too deep into this right here in this conversation, but I think it is a good, fun activity to just, you know, quickly go over where we land leading up to this film that we're going to be talking about tonight. All right, so we're going to do, like, least favorite to most favorite, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think we should okay. go bottom to top, because okay. I still haven't figured out the, like, number two, three, four spots, so I'll have to do that okay. on the fly. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Okay. Well, I'll let you go ahead and kick it off. Uh, I know that you haven't You've, you've intentionally avoided getting my rankings ahead of time because I think you were anticipating a discussion like this. So I'm excited to tell you, I'm, I'm excited to talk you through what my top three or four or five or six are in this, in this series. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and just for the record, folks, Creed, Creed is not included in this. While it is part of the universe, the, the Rocky universe, we are strictly ranking the Rocky franchise itself as a whole. We consider this a separate entity, even though it exists in this this universe. Yeah, for this exercise. Yes. On, on Letterboxd, I'll be throwing Creed into my list uh, where I think it falls. But yes, absolutely. For now, 
leading up to this episode, we're going to do just the Rocky movies. And no pressure on me because I was worried, Patrick. I'll, I'll tell you right up front here. Knowing how much you love this series growing up and going into this with kind of a middling opinion on it, I thought that I knew Rocky and I thought that I'd seen all these films and I, I knew the plot lines. And, you know, what I really knew was the big moments. I knew... Like, the big idea that happened in each and every film, I knew. But, boy, oh boy, did I have no idea, and, and now I understand. It's context, man. Context yeah. is everything. It absolutely is. <laughs> All right. Kick us off with your number six. All right. This is going to be a little confusing, I think. But my number six is number five. And I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no question, this is the easy one. After this, yeah. it gets a little difficult. But this is a softball. I'm this sorry. is the softball for both of us. So uh, Rocky Five to me is not as awful as people say. Now, it is still not anywhere close to being as good as the rest of the films in the franchise. And I think that's the reason it has the reputation it does is because when you consider it relative to the rest of the series, it looks – even worse. But, you know, I didn't have a ton of problems with it in the same way that I've heard others have. I think that one of the, the biggest things about the Rocky franchise for me that I enjoy is the realistic progression of Rocky's story. Mm-hmm. I feel like each and every obstacle that he overcomes or encounters in a new movie is uh, something that makes sense for his life at that time. Right. And it does in Rocky five as well. It's just that, you know, the over the top betrayal of Don King kind of, it, it doesn't work as well here. And I think yeah. for me, I watched this Patrick about 48 hours, maybe 36 hours after Rocky four, my first ever viewing full viewing of Rocky four and the tonal shift going <laughs> the shift from three to four and back to it's five it's it is wild and it's really weird watching it and it sucks because the end of this movie is kind of killed for me because of the whole ghost scene where he just sees everybody and i i kept thinking to myself like what is this les mis i mean is he you know going to heaven it's it's it it really leaves it on a sour note for me whereas most of the films are left on a really high note and so this is by far the least favorite entry for me yeah when I first saw this as a as a young young lad, whenever it came, I think 1990, it was definitely not a favorite, but I didn't disappreciate it like I do now. <laughs> and if my voice hasn't been loud enough on social media, I tell anybody who dives into this universe to just kind of avoid this movie. I actually rewatched it last week. Uh, I wanted to give myself the benefit of the doubt. AKA I had some downtime and I agree. It's not as bad as I'd probably make it out to be. It becomes kind of a a parody, a farce of, of that kind of, of that kind of thing. But I would agree with some of our, some of our Facebook group folks like James Hamrick who say it feels a lot more consistent story-wise than something like Rocky four, which feels more rock and roll than anything else. At the same time, I feel like it's kind of been rushed, like it was a cash grab. I feel like it was saying, okay, we need to put an exclamation point on this Rocky character. Because even the end credits really 
seem to articulate this is the end of the Rocky story. And I felt like it kind of stumbled into a finish line. So for me, I feel like the characters were a little bit too over the top. I don't know how I felt about um, Stallone's actual son playing the part of his movie son, although there were moments of real genuine father-son relationship chemistry there for obvious reasons. And I felt like that when it when it worked, it worked really well. But when it didn't work, when it felt like two actors or one actor and one not-so-great actor kind of working with each other, it, it kind of it fell flat for me. So it wasn't consistent in its performance, even though tonally I think it went back to the roots of the progression of the Rocky story. I really felt like it hit a, a real flat note uh, to finish out attempt to finish out the series. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I was count for about half the movie. I was counting and Rocky calls him kid or slugger. For, I, I counted up to about 10, and he never once used the kid's name. I don't think he actually says it in the entire film. Um, it's kind of interesting to me, and I, I just thought that was a, a a neat little nugget because it, it made sense with the character of Rocky. Mm-hmm. I, I think one thing is that Rocky Five does have going for it is Stallone has a great performance of someone with brain damage. He really mm-hmm. takes you – can, you can feel the subtle difference of – already kind of slower and not as intelligent and kind of the way he speaks normally and mm-hmm. punch drunk, you can tell there's just a subtle, very slight difference that shows he's got brain issues and yeah. trauma. And I, I really thought that was well done. But yeah. yeah, I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I didn't take your advice and just not watch it, which you tried to convince me of multiple times. And anybody else. Like I still, I still, I still stand by that conviction, even though – I get it, so whatever. All right, so number five of six. What was your fifth favorite? <laughs> I know this is going to be I know, really it's so confusing. weird. Okay, <laughs> so next for me, th- this is where they get bunched up, okay? And I'm just going to go mm-hmm. ahead and put this out there. The next three spots for me are, I mean, a g- given day. I, based on my mood, <laughs> based on... You know, what I ate for lunch, like, this is going to determine which one of these I put in what order. These are all so close to me, but I'm doing my best here to to definitively say I'm giving them some separation. Um, For me, Rocky II is in my number five spot. And I know that's probably going to make some people go, what? Because a lot of people love this film. The thing about Rocky II that doesn't allow it to be as high as the others is just that I think it stays so dramatic for so long that I don't know. I, I didn't fully love everything about the buildup to just being a rematch. Um, it gets a little cartoonish here. And what I've found is that I enjoy the Rockies that are either all cartoonish or not cartoonish at all. And this one starts to kind of go a little bit towards, that middle ground um but man overall this is it's such a great film like they're all so great and you know even if you aren't cheering for rocky to get the win uh because he's considerably outboxed frankly in the finale of this um you can't help but be overwhelmed by what you see it's so brutal um 
gosh, I don't know. I One thing that stood out to me the most in this one, and we'll mention this in Creed more, but there's so many – this is the first film where I started seeing shot-for-shot recreations um, in Rocky II that we would later see in Creed, which was really, really cool. Um, and Adrian, I think – is not quite all in the way into her own here yet either. Maybe that's a little the reason why I put it this low, but um, this is super dramatic. I think this is the most full-on dramatic film in the entire franchise, and maybe that's also a little bit of why uh, it didn't quite beat out those others for me. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you in terms of its ranking. I There's a lot to like about Rocky too, but in some ways, I feel like it's the movie that gave the rest of the world, the story they wanted and the ending they needed, that kind of thing. Because of what Rocky gave us in terms of how the narrative was, and I won't call it the unexpected ending, this one felt pretty predictable because you couldn't really have the ending from Rocky 1 repeated in Rocky 2. You kind of knew what was going to happen, and so while the fight itself was pretty great and the drama leading up to it was was pretty good, I felt like there were a lot more tropes that were invoked in Rocky II for this to get the character from motivation A in Rocky to motivation B in Rocky. I will say, though, I did like his motivation for for fighting. And there's a great moment with Adrian that validates that. That I'm not going to get because we're trying to stay spoiler free, but I think it would be if I'm I'll spoil this. This would be my connecting point is the conversation that she has with him that validates and leads to what if you know one of the many training montages that we've grown to love in the Rocky franchise. So I definitely enjoy it, but I feel like of the dramatic Rockies, it's probably it's it, it is I won't say it's the most dramatic for me, but I will say it's probably not as strong as um as you know others in some cases i feel like it's it's sort of a it feels like a, a continuation of sorts but not as as not as compelling as it could be yeah i think you nailed it right there when you said it's predictable and that's part of it is you go into this movie knowing exactly what's going to happen there's really no question about it there's no surprises there's no interesting decision making like you know that this is going to be the payback sequel like that's mm-hmm. what it's all about and so well i don't have a problem with that overall like i don't mind knowing a story going into it we've we're big fans of biopics both of us we know those stories pretty well when we see them um it just it, it just just brings it down just a notch below the sure. others but sure. like i said they're all three these are all everything from here on out for me is a four star enough film i'll, I'll put that out there so it, it's not like i don't like this movie all right you're number four of six i'm I'm glad you're the one doing this because i would be lost all right (laughs) well my number four of six is perfectly number four um that's that's the one and and, you know i didn't even do that on purpose here's the thing and this is i'm gonna read my letterbox review i wrote this said my best friend ding ding that's patrick told me that this was the, quote, top gun of the Rocky franchise, which got me super hyped, by the way. And another good friend said that it was basically just a feature-length Rocky-themed series of music videos. Both of them were right, gloriously right. And I loved this movie. I, I, <laughs> I can't put it higher 
in good conscience, Patrick, because it doesn't have the drama and the depth that the rest of the franchise has. But as as this weird, <laughs> out of nowhere tonal shift, montage driven, musically like powered force. I was in love. I mean, I had so much fun. I was completely engaged. I was drawn in. There is a little bit of drama here. The drama, actually, the fact that, you know, Ivan is, you know, being doped, uh, and by the Russians, and he's, he's being used by his own people as a weapon, essentially, to fight America. There, there is a nice little layer. It doesn't go super deep when you analyze it, but there's a nice little layer and some, some metaphor there about the Cold War that's going on. And I think more than anything, it, it got me even more excited for Creed 2 because we know that it's going to revolve around Drago and his son and his son fighting Adonis. And oh my gosh, I need it in my life right now, Patrick. It's getting close. Um, but yeah, this movie, this movie is so much fun. Like, I can understand why people would call this the most rewatchable Rocky, because if there's one that I can put on with no context and not need to, like, pay full attention to it or worry about coming out of it, you know, with tears in my eyes and stuff, like, I can just throw this on and just, ah, sit back and watch him go to town. It's it's a ton of fun. I don't know. The people that hate this movie, I, I don't know what's wrong with them. I get the discontent with the disconnect or inconsistency with the tone. This feels like a really fantastic pause button on the Rocky franchise. And if you would have asked 1985, Patrick, what was his favorite Rocky movie to date? Rocky four would have been the absolute number one. And adult me looks back and says, you're awesome, dude. Cause that's the kind of movie that needed to be made for a time when things were going the way they were in the United States. I mean, it's patriotism all over. And that's why I, I call it the top gun of, of the Rocky franchise, because it's essentially a big giant commercial for patriotism. And I think what you get is just an amped up version of this icon, this movie icon of Rocky Balboa in this wishful thinking, like, look, I'll go to Rocky five real quick. You've got, you've got, Duke that says the man fought wars in the ring. Well, he literally fights a war in this ring. The dude is cut like he is probably the most like built version of Sylvester Stallone, I think, in his career at this moment. I mean, when when he this I, I know this is like man crush sounding, but when he pulls off his his boxing robe and you're like, oh, my gosh, his six pack has a six pack. I know it's so it's incredible. So and then, chiseled. I know. And then you see him next to Ivan Drago. Just this short, and he's nothing. He's home. dwarfed. It's so fantastic. There's so much visually that you're just eating up. It's popcorn drivel, is what it is. But at the base of it, there's still that element of drama that doesn't quite. It doesn't take us completely away from who Rocky is. Like he's got legit motive for why he's doing this next thing. This isn't about money. This is strictly about revenge with this backdrop of the Cold War happening. But the fact is, we got Creed because of Rocky IV. We're getting Creed II because of Rocky IV. So at the very least, if Creed II turns out to be as great as we hope it will, then you need to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. You need to give credit to No Easy Way Out, 
Eye of the Tiger. Oh, man. You got to give credit. Hearts to on you. fire. Hearts on fire. I mean, look, I, when I was in college, I had a friend of mine who said, look, when I get mad, I jam out to, <laughs> to no easy way out. I take a drive in my car and I slam my fists against the steering wheel. I'm like, you're awesome, dude. Go fight somebody Russian and just get your, you know, get your kicks in or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's a rock and roll movie and it's one that I absolutely have a fantastic time watching continuously because it just it makes me want to run it makes me want to train yeah uh, i mean there were that's uh, because that's what half the movie is patrick is training <laughs> it, 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 you know it gave rise to what the training montage should be and you always look forward to that and this is probably my favorite training montage in the entire franchise oh absolutely 100 percent agree it's it's i mean i, I want to go watch it again right now i just it's that <laughs> you're right it's that kind of movie it's the one you pop in yep um sure. okay so so far we're we're equal. We're on We're the equal, same. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, we may diverge here. I guess we'll find out. Okay. So number three. Number oh, three. Sorry. Okay. This is serious now. Okay. This is like this is this is hurting me to make choices at this point. I really, really, really love these last three films that are remaining for me. What's gonna separate them is small, um, but for my third overall spot in the Rocky franchise. I have to go with Rocky Balboa. And I knew that I liked it. So I saw this when it came out in theaters. And I really enjoyed it then. I remember that. But now going back to it and realizing that I didn't have all the context that I have now when I saw it, it elevated it in a way that is is just really special. Um, I... This is what Rocky Five should have been. This is the this is it. This is the going out of the series. If Creed never existed and continued on this saga or this this type of this franchise, I mean, Creed is, you know, it's changed the series in ways that Fast and the Furious has evolved. It is completely different now than it necessarily was back then. It's it's just got some same same characters or whatever. But Rocky Balboa really sent it out on a high. Um, I I just. It's weird because I love, uh, and I, I can't say his name, but Milo, can you say it? Yeah, Milo Ventimiglia. There we go. I love him normally. didn't love him in this film. Probably one of my least favorite parts for some reason. I just didn't. Okay. I thought he was a little bit too quiet and reserved. Probably worked for the character. Probably is accurate based on what we've seen of his son in other films. But I just really liked the arc of this film. Um, what Rocky is dealing with, um, how he's he's trying to, you know, the fact that it's an exhibition fight. This is the one where really ESPN and and kind of modern day sports casting and TV gets brought into the way that the that the movie is filmed. I've always loved that the whole series they use actual boxers throughout or um, to, to play different characters or wrestlers or you know big personalities like that, but. They do that again here, and that, that has continued on. And it just, it really adds a, a fun element of immersion to it that makes me feel like it's real, like real time. It's real and realistic. And this just felt right to me. I mean, Rocky's going up for an exhibition fight. I mean, he's old. What else is he going to do, right? Like, if, if they had tried to bring Rocky back for a real fight, like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but here he goes, you know, doing this, and he's doing it for reasons that made sense. His opponent has reasons that make sense. 
trying to to solidify his name and and make his mark on history. It's it's really a touching film, and I, I just I thought it, it captures the spirit of the dramatic sense of the Rocky story all the way through um, in the perfect perfect way to go out. Absolutely, and this is my number two. I'm going to go ahead and just say that. So we flipped right out. Him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and for all the reasons that you said, it's the fitting end to Rocky Balboa as a boxer. And I'm going to I'm going to say that specifically because we have Creed now. Rocky is a different person. He's he has a different role in the life of you know this new series. But I think what Rocky Balboa does is it does enough callback to the original and i mean like rock like just the original film and it puts a really delicate exclamation point on his relationship with adrian because that is the thread throughout all the movies that have dramatic weight that's the thread his relationship with adrian and this is not a spoiler necessarily but she has an arc throughout the entire series I mean, you see her come alive over the course of each one of these movies in some way. Uh, at one point, I don't know, it's not in this one, but she says, he asks, um, he asks, how'd you get so tough? And she says, I married a fighter. And she's very believable when she says that. But there's so much to love about Rocky Balboa, not just the character, but this movie specifically, in that everything feels realistic this is the first movie that feels like it touches on the real world even down to the way the last the the big fight at the end is actually filmed it's not done in a dramatic choreographed sequence it's done and it's shot as if you're watching an hd pay-per-view you've got um you've got the two i wish i could remember their names the boxing announcers who are really who are actual boxing announcers from the hbo pay-per-views and there's a lot of meta stuff going on in this. There's a moment in the fight that gives Rocky a fighting chance as this old guy fighting an exhibition. So it feels realistic because that's the other thing you're going, okay, wh- why, why Rocky, why are you getting back in the ring? And everything about this movie sells that idea. It sells the, mo- the, the reasons why. And there's, Again, I'm going to give it away because I don't think we're going to necessarily cover this particular movie. I know we'll at least cover one, and I hope it's the one that we're both thinking about, um, Rocky Five, of course. But no, it, there's a moment that is my absolute connecting point, and it's a conversation that he has with Polly in the meat locker. And you're familiar with that. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it sums up exactly why he's doing what he's doing. And for every person in the theater – the three times that I saw it, I feel in my heart that every person in the theater was going, yes, I believe that about you. I don't believe that this is a trope. I don't believe it's a reason for you to get back in the ring for any other reason than just for that. Because we've we've lived this life with you, Rocky. We know that that's the truth. And I think that's the exclamation point that the franchise needed. And to me, it it's an absolute close second to my number one for those reasons. But it's like it's like the Godfather. I love the Godfather Part Two, but only because the original yep. existed. And it's the same way with Rocky Balboa. I love it so much, but only because my obvious number one existed before it. It wouldn't have nearly the amount of weight if if it right. didn't exist. It couldn't. It couldn't even exist. And I, no, it couldn't. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm telling you, man. 
it Rocky for me Rocky Balboa and Rocky Three, which is going to be my second place. Obviously, your third place. Um, for me, Balboa and Rocky Three are are just. I mean, they're the they're right there, and you're right. Like they're just a notch below Rocky for me. Um, it's it's incredible what this whole series does. Last thing I'll say about Balboa is, I did not like Polly as a character. I have okay. I have despised really and just kind of been annoyed by Polly for most of the films. I'm and the unsung majority, Big Mouth. You know, it, but that's the thing is that because of Rocky Balboa, there were moments that made me think of Polly in a different light, think of him from a different perspective, see things through his eyes in the life that he's lived. There's some things he says that gut punched me and brought me to tears, mm-hmm. and I realized, man. This is this is great filmmaking, great storytelling. Because, yeah, I may see him as nothing but the loudmouth, annoying, rude, mean son of a bitch, right? But like, there's a reason he's like that, <laughs> and for them to kind of call that out for us and and really show us and remind us why that is, it puts his entire life in a different spot for me. So, uh, I thought that was a big highlight of Balbo as well. Yeah. But yeah, for me, number two is number three, which is. Rocky three. And it's interesting because I remember watching this and I think the reason it stands out so much to me, Patrick, is because this movie was like going up a ramp. It started off really kind of rough. And I was like, what is going on here? Because you go Rocky one, which is way more drama than I ever remembered. And then you get Rocky two, which is like super drama. And then Rocky three is like, what? Wait, Hogan? What what is happening? What the what what is going on right here? Like I, your mind is just completely tor- contorted and you're you're not you're confused. And it just goes from there but it starts to grow on me. And I think that again, I'll say it a million times about this franchise. The perfect natural progression for this character. It brought into the 80s what would be going on? Well, wrestling is getting big. So of course we're going to start seeing the idea of crossover. I mean, we still see this today with UFC and boxing and wanting to cross promote. And we see the way that these things work. And this film for me just echoes the real life challenges that athletes actually struggle with every day to stay motivated once they've reached the top of their sport and the difficulty that they, they have to endure in order to do that. Like that's why it's incredible when you see champions that last as long as they do. Because what is it when you've dominated every like when you're LeBron James and you can go out and get 40, 10, and 10 every single game? What do you motivate yourself with? Like how do you how do you motivate yourself to get through 82 games of a season? You know what I mean? It's that kind of idea that's at play here for for someone who's done it all and accomplished everything. And so when you take that progressive storyline and you have you know emotional stuff with Mickey that is going on. Um, to me, this is where Adrian really comes into her own in the, in the series and starts having important things to say and becoming a character and not just a part of Rocky's life that's kind of there as a subplot. Um, and then Clubber Lang. I love Clubber Lang. Now, not only is this the best name in the history of fictional sports characters probably ever, uh, I, I'm very partial to Bagger Vance myself, but Clubber Lang... I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you know, I pity the fool who who doesn't see this as the best name ever. It, his name has Clubber in the word, in the title. Like, So I think he's great because he is the perfect, dangerous, 
opponent that we want to root against. Mm-hmm. In one in one and two, I never really rooted against Apollo. Like it's hard to root against Apollo because you like Apollo and you know that Apollo is a showman and mm-hmm. has these good qualities. But Clubber Lang comes off a little differently, and it's not because he's mean or terrible person. You just see him in a different light, I think. You know yeah. that he's not going to be developing a friendship with Rocky after the fact. He is right. a wall to go through. He is someone who has taken Rocky down a peg, and dadgummit, we need to see our guy get back on top. And this, this right. man is in the way. So um, that I loved. And then most importantly probably for me is to me this is, this is really where Rocky's all-important friendship with Apollo starts to blossom. Like this yeah. is where – this is the reason – that we can appreciate for the way we do. Mm-hmm. The, and, and then, you know, by default, how we get to fight or a Creed two, obviously, um, and Creed, but just the way that they, their friendship arcs from one to two, and then kind of peaks out here in three is really, really awesome for me. And yeah. I, I fell in love with that. Yeah. I think if I had a one word takeaway for this movie, it'd be transformation because there's a lot that's being transformed here because of the circumstances that happen throughout the narrative. This feels a little bit like a cash grab. It feels a little bit of rock and roll, but it still holds on to that drama that we got from one and two. And in a lot of ways it, you're right, Aaron, it is a natural progression of what an athlete goes through. I would assume I'm not on top of my game when it comes to whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But you know, when we're at the top of the podcasting world, I'm sure we're going to feel that same thing. And so, you know, just get ready for that, right? But having – this is the first time that we have a villain, an actual villain, like you're fighting somebody. Whereas I think with 1 and 2, there was this great – what I think is what, – what I think makes the Rocky franchise stand out to me is this battle with yourself and ideologies and things like that, which Stallone – and hit, you know, he inhabited that with the Rocky character – this is the first time in Rocky three and then subsequently in four where a person is the enemy with Clever Lang and then subsequently with Ivan Drago. And we really start to appreciate wanting to not like a person as opposed to battling some other kind of dislike for whatever. And this gave us a, a different kind of, it answered the question, where do we go from here in terms of creating drama inside the squared circle? <laughs> and I think it really executed pretty well. Um, I don't think it was my favorite final fight uh, by a long shot, but I think it was probably the most, the one that made the most sense in terms of giving Rocky what we wanted him to have at the end. Um it was satisfying for sure. You could have ended the series on that right there uh, in some ways. And I'm glad we didn't, but it was a nice little, if you're going to have a trilogy one through three seemed to be a nice trilogy for, for the Rocky character. For sure. And All that, right. That leaves the big daddy. Um, yes. So I'm going to go quickly first and I'll let you talk because I know where this film stands for you in your all time pantheon. What I can say is this. I did not remember loving this movie. In fact, I was kind of rude to it in a lot of ways at times when it would come up because I thought people overrated the heck out of this. Recently, there was a a tournament that that went on in this Facebook group that I'm a member of 
um, run by one of our listeners. It's called Bibles and Brackets. Um, but anyway, they do random, you know, polls for movies and music and such. And they did a best dramatic film. And there were all kinds of movies that didn't belong in this poll, as listed as drama. And when Rocky showed up in there, I thought to myself, well, that doesn't really show, that doesn't actually have any place in this stupid bracket either. Like, it's a sports film. It's not a drama. Like, it's maybe very little drama. Like, you can't really call it a drama. Come on. Wow. Okay, so I had to eat some crow because I was completely wrong. Um, and it wasn't the fighting and the choreography of the fighting that drew me in at all. And that's what I thought was going to happen, Patrick. Having fallen in love with Creed so much and going back to this, I thought, well, it's going to be just like Creed. Like, it's going to be all about these awesome, like, fighting scenes and great stuff. You know, nope, didn't happen. And instead, it's all this quiet getting to know Rocky and his life around town. And I loved it, like, every minute of it. And I was like, wow, this is super dramatic, and I'm totally invested, and I care a lot. Um, in fact, it's arguably one of the best dramas I've ever seen. Uh, he, this viewing of Rocky alone... And, and of course, you know, what has come after has just cemented it. But really, even in just seeing the first film, I immediately was like, this is one of the best cinematic characters ever made. He, he really is. I get it now. I understand why people have this as an all-time favorite film. It will be in my top 100 moving forward. There is no doubt about that. I absolutely, completely just fell head over heels for it. I think that the lack of production value in this film serves that story so well um, because it it fits into the, its era and its blue collar city perfectly. Um, it just, it, it's like a glove. And I, I just, Rocky has a great line at the end of this, you know, when he's talking to everybody, he says, if I can change, you can change. Everybody can change. And to everybody else out there that is listening right now, that for whatever reason, doesn't think Rocky is like the perfect film. You can change too, just like me. Everybody can change. And just rewatch it again as an adult, and I, I think you might have a different reaction than when you first saw it, uh, because it is, dude, it's a knockout. <laughs> I completely agree, and I hope that you were able to wash that crow down with a bunch of hard, you know, just raw eggs, because that would be awesome. I, I'm not going to say too much about it. I, for two reasons. One, I hope that we get to cover this at some point, and I don't want to say too much here because, one, this is the spoiler-free portion of our show. Uh, but also, if you really want more of my thoughts on it immediately, I would say check out me and Chad Hopkins' episode of uh, his Cinescope podcast. This was actually the first time I got to be on his show, and we talked about this first entry into the Rocky franchise and I got to tell you, there's there's a lot to love about this, not only from a dramatic point of view, but from just a sense of raw determination. Like it really set up what we've come to appreciate about the underdog story with all of its tropes that people have kind of just embellished and, and, and whatnot. I think Rocky set the tone early on. I think it was in a, in a lot of ways, it was somewhat of a biopic for Stallone because there was a lot going on in his life personally that found its way onto the silver screen. And I think sometimes when you write as a writer or a director or as someone who's creative and trying to tell stories, the best stories are the ones that come from a place of authenticity. So 
when we see the life of Rocky coming from not just a, this wasn't even a rags to riches story. This was a, a rags to learning more about your rag story and valuing yourself. I, that's terrible. I know, but Rocky Balboa is one of the reasons I really enjoy it is because it does that same thing. Like it's, if Rocky is the starting point of Stallone's career and his success and trying to make it as an actor, paralleled in this life of a boxer i think rocky balboa is the would be the the sunset of his life as an actor you know he's gotten older he's learning and he's trying to finish strong finish in a way that is valuable to him and i think that these two movies are a fantastic just double feature if you know what the other movies have in them if you understand the history so obviously you need to see most all of them in order to get that kind of appreciation. But I'll tell you, everything about it felt cinematically perfect for me. And like you, Aaron, this was not my favorite movie growing up. I mean, this was like, what, 1977? And I'm like, these people are old. What is this bad music that's being played? Take it back. What? What is this? Oh, my goodness. This guy lives in a rundown apartment. There's no action in this. Well, again, adult Patrick gets a chance to grow up a little bit and rewatch these, especially when I watch these with my dad, who's a huge fan of the Rocky franchise, um, getting that appreciation and then just continuing to go back and watch it and then watching it again for Cinescope. I just I fall in love with it more and more every time I watch it. And I laugh at myself because I'm going, man, I was an idiot <laughs> when I was younger. But, you know, that's what happens when you're a you know, a nine, 10, 12 year old trying to appreciate Oscar worthy movies. Um, so thankful for podcasts and adulting and all that stuff that helps me appreciate these things more. But yeah, if you haven't seen this or if you aren't on the hype train, there's no hype. It's just reality. This is a good movie. And it's, it's one of those, like, it's like Kurosawa seven samurai. You have to watch it in order to understand the movies that have come out since that have taken their taken their cues from a movie like this. Like this is the first and one of the few movies that I can legitimately endorse and say, yes, do this. Like I can I can sort of say that about Seven Samurai, but only from a hindsight perspective where I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I need to appreciate this. But this is one that I will tell you specifically, see this. It's good. And also this other stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. And that underdog part of it is is so special and unique. I I couldn't think of another time when the underdog losing is the goal of the story um, Mm -hmm. prior to this. Now, that has been a trope that we've seen happen that has come after because of this film. But when you think about it going back then, that this entire film revolves around the idea that losing and by losing you win, that was kind of revolutionary in – Movie making. I mean, in yeah. storytelling, like story, it's about winning. It's a sports movie. Like you have to win in order for it to be the happy ending. But exactly. You don't win. You yeah. don't win anything other yeah. than Mo- pride. Yeah. Movies like Warrior take some of their cues from it in terms of how the narrative takes place. And again, I'm not going to give my connecting point for this one because I want to save it for for our episode. But I will say that this is probably an argument to anyone's credit to say. If you want to see Stallone as an actor and you want to validate his ability to act, first of all, see Creed. <laughs> but also, if you want to see him before Creed, Rocky is 
probably one of his best performances. I don't know. I, I should know this, but I don't know if he was nominated for a best act. I don't think it was for this, for Rocky, for the original. I know he was for Creed, but I feel like that same level of acting prowess exists in 1977 than it does equally as much as it does in uh, in Creed. So he, he doesn't get enough credit for, for his acting ability. All right, I'm good. If you are, that covers Rocky. Now it's time to get spoilery. It's time to talk Creed. And I just want to keep talking. So I'm going to go ahead and open this up with our one word takeaways, if, if you don't mind. I'm going to take the first punch. <laughs> you, oh man, I, oh, just, puns for days coming at you guys, coming at you. So yes, two weeks, let's, man. we're going to have two weeks of this. And man. I'm hyped. Let's go. <laughs> it's you against you. All right, here we go. All right. My word that I pulled from this was logical. No, we're not in a Star Trek movie. This is not a Vulcan type thing. I see this as a logical step forward in the Rocky universe. And anytime that you continue a story of a character, particularly one as popular as Rocky Balboa, you run the risk of feeling like you are milking the cow of sorts. And look, I'll admit Rocky 4 and 5 had that kind of flavor, and in their own ways they succeeded and failed. Um, but Creed seemed somewhat of a high risk. I mean, this was... A new character, but it was treading on familiar territory. You're bringing back Sylvester Stallone. You're like, wait a minute, his story's already been told. And from a fan perspective, I'm like, oh my gosh, don't do this. You did it with Rocky. You made up for it with Rocky Balboa. Please don't go back to the well. Because it was already told, I got real hesitant when I saw this come out. But then I saw a name that I've become to trust. And that's Ryan Coogler, Fruitvale Station, Black Panther. Of course, one came before this, one came after. But seeing his name attached to this gave me some hope. And the thing is, Coogler did not do what I feared he would do. He's leading us through the story of Adonis Creed that feels fresh, current, familiar. Three things that I think make this film incredible. Because we look at this and we see familiarity, but we see enough freshness and enough newness and enough new life in this story that, as I've heard people talk on when, when Creed was about to come out, I don't know if it was Coogler or someone else connected with the film, but they said, this is not Rocky Seven, This is Creed One, And this is even before we got the idea of a, of a sequel. And I love that. I love the fact that Coogler and company are giving new identity to the franchise, but in a logical way. We're not disconnected from the characters that we're familiar with. We are because of time and because of narrative circumstances, but Rocky is there in a different role that makes sense, but the focus is on Adonis. And I think that to me, as much of a high risk it came out with a high reward, and, and I thought Cooler did a fantastic job in directing that. Oh, yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, so my word that I came out of this with was powerful. And like you said, this could have gone so, so wrong, uh, like many revamped, revitalized sequels that we've we've seen attempted. But instead of a shrugged-off jab, Coogler delivers an absolute knockout here. And I think it is just mind-blowing to me that it even ends up elevating 
this mythic character of Rocky further when you would expect that that not to be able to, to be done after Rocky Balboa. But he's an iconic character and he's an iconic underdog. And somehow he has to overcome even more than he's already dealt with his entire life because now he has to beat cancer too. I mean, like, why not just throw the entire kitchen sink at him? He's Rocky. Why? Because he can take it. That's why. And focusing on Adonis in this story is really the absolutely right choice. Um, it's the only way that Kugler could have made this film and actually reinvigorated this franchise by bringing something new and, like you said, fresh to it. it but it, yet it brilliantly uses callbacks and tie-ins um, to make, to use your word, a logical progression for both Rocky as a character, uh, where he is in his life and where he goes in this film, and then for Adonis as well, as we see his life and what it has become, uh, as he seeks to understand where he came from and ultimately who he's going to be. My connection to the characters is incredibly powerful, and so so is the incredible way in which I think the boxing scenes are filmed. Um, this has the best action to me of the entire series, and that's that's fair. I mean, it's new. It's, it's you, you know, we've got 2000 and, what is this, 15? 2015 technology at work here that they didn't have in the 70s. So we get a lot different look at the boxing action, and um, it is, wow, it's just amazing. And it helps to generate a ton of emotion for me throughout the entire film. I think this is put together in such a perfect way um, with regards to the emotional arc of the story. When it rises, when it falls, um, and it leads to those powerful moments several times during the film. So my response to it, Patrick, just gets more and more positive every time I see it. I mean, I walked out of this movie the first time I ever saw it in a theater. I got to tell this story real quick because it's the only time this has ever happened to me. I went and saw it in a theater toward the end of its run because I wasn't a huge Rocky fan. And people were like, oh my gosh, this movie is great. And I'm like, it's a, like another Rocky movie. Why, why would you care about another Rocky movie? But I love sports. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go check it out. I went and checked it out. Not a lot of people in the theater. We'll never forget this moment because I was so engaged and so into this film that during the final fight sequence, I leapt out of my movie theater chair, pumped my fist in the air, and said, hell yeah out loud. And I wasn't the only one in the theater that did it. Multiple people in the theater did the exact same thing at the exact same <laughs> moment. And I was like, this is unique. This is special. And this is, my word, powerful. Mm-hmm. Like for a movie to do that and evoke that kind of complete loss of where I'm at and what I'm doing, I am so engaged in this film that I, like, I, I feel like it's more engaging to me at times than a real life sporting event. I'm more into this than I am and I watch a ton of sports, so wow. um, it's 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 a pretty incredible movie, and yeah, it's great, powerful. It's okay, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. I think I think we would both agree that it's it's okay. <laughs> a movie like this has to start somewhere. I mean, like most movies do, duh. You know, not just credits, but the fact is, one of the things that Kugler had to do was he had to create a past. He had to create a backstory for Adonis. I mean, this is a character that did not exist at all in the franchise. And so in a lot of ways, this was good because you had nothing to necessarily connect it to. You didn't have to retcon anything. You didn't have to 
bring things that existed from the previous movies in here to kind of justify it. And again, it's a high risk thing, but I think it paid itself off. I wanted to ask you, we get a sense of where Adonis comes from, where he is when the movie kind of picks itself up as a young adult. And how throughout the movie do you feel like the things that he's been exposed to as a character, how does that help or hurt where he is when we see him, I guess, near the beginning of the film? Because we get we don't get much, but we get enough to kind of make some kind of observation about who he is. Well, I love the opening of this film. I mean, it is it is up there, man, with the best of the best for me. And like you were just describing, Kugler giving himself a blank canvas to create on is what allows this to succeed. <laughs> you know, by not tying it into the film that closely, like by giving us this new character, he's able to do so without limitation. He can craft how he came into this world, crafting his backstory and all of that stuff. The way that the film opens with him getting in a fight in Juvie, or in, I guess it's Juvie? It looks like Juvie. I think it's Juvie. Yeah. Um, is, it's really great because it shows us right off the bat. It's like, okay, this kid's a fighter. He's born a fighter. Like this is in his blood. He doesn't have any idea who his dad is or where he came from, but yet it's like, chariots of fire you know like you're born to do this thing you're born to run it's your god-given talent and ability and you can fight it to use that word i guess you can you can resist or try to do something else he does throughout the film uh or in the beginning of the film he's trying to make it a, je- a job that you know a desk job and wearing a nice suit and tie and you know and he's succeeding but it will never satisfy him it will never fill that void that he needs to fill because he's born to be a fighter. Um, and so it's, it's a great opening and introduction to the character. I also love that, you know, it's kind of interesting. We're talking about it right now. It's national adoption month and the, he gets adopted essentially by, I mean, it's his mom, but like, it feels like he's getting adopted because no one's, you know, been there for him for so long. Um, but anyway, it just I, the way that the film opens, going all the way up to you know her introducing him to his father essentially, and him saying, "What's his name?" and then we get the title. Um, man, it's it's a great way to do that. But when it comes to him as a character and kind of how he progresses throughout, I think that you're I, he has so much anger bottled up. Because he doesn't know his dad, and he feels like he was abandoned. Because he never got to have certain conversations that maybe we all get to have. He never got an opportunity to deal with these things. I mean, I don't know what this is like. And I can never presume to know what it's like to not have been able to, to meet one of my parents. And the lack of identity that comes with that. Um, and not, not knowing who you are. You and I both, that's one of the things about this film. This huge film that deals with the idea of identity. And you and I gravitate toward these for a reason. Because they're fascinating. 
You get to see life through someone else's eyes in a way that you just don't normally get to do. You get to, you know, practice that concept of walking in someone else's shoes to try and understand them. And so everything about how Adonis reacts and his decision-making to me makes perfect sense. The way he pushes his mom away and just, you know, I'm going to do what I have to do, even if it makes you worry for me Mm -hmm. because I have to put myself first in order to, to somehow get myself to understand who I am. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we see early on is that, as you mentioned, you can't really take the fight out of him. Something interesting that I think Coogler does that I won't say it's unexpected, but it was surprising to me was that this wasn't a rags to riches tale. This is a riches to rags kind of reversal. Like he grew up after he was adopted by the wonderful Felicia Rashad, who plays his his on-screen mother. He had a life that was very, very well off. Like he's he's driving around in, in fancy cars and he's got a, a great job in securities. And all these little nonverbal cues say a lot about his upbringing. Yes, he was picked up in juvie, adopted, given the best life. And I think Kugler's saying, look, just like bad circumstances don't make you a bad person, good circumstances don't necessarily give you the good life. That there's something about an individual person and who they're meant to be that they can't escape, that they're going to do. And so he makes the choice to leave He doesn't feel like his world is cushy, but he feels like he's not fulfilling who it is that he needs to be. And that identity needs to be explored because the other thing that we see here is that with that anger that he has, he's trying to make a name for himself. He's not trying to validate that he's a creed at this point. He's not trying to validate that he is his father's son. He's almost like taking the best of both worlds here. He's like, look, I got fighting from it's in my blood but I'm not going to acknowledge the name of where that bloodline originates from. And of course that really fuels him not only in the ring, but also throughout the narrative as he begins to build this relationship with Rocky um, to want to train him because I think he recognizes what's, what's good about that, but also what's bad. And that's the, that's the interesting conflict that we see with Adonis is that he wants both. Like he wants the benefit of being a creed, but not the name. Does that make sense? Well, he wants to be able to enjoy and excel at the talents, the physical talents that have been kind of given to him through birth, essentially. If that's, right. is that what you're getting at? Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, like he wants the, he want he loves that part of it, <laughs> right? He embraces right. that. But yeah. you have to. He has to realize that that's you have that because he's your father, right. um, and and this whole this whole theme, man, it's just I we talk all the time about emotionally viewing movies, and I recently had an interview with um, Sean Anders. He's the director of the new film Instant Family. Create another adoption tie-in movie about adoption. Go see it. It came out this weekend, or, or it comes out this week for Thanksgiving. Everybody, go see Instant Family. There we go. Um, hey, Sean, if you're listening. Just saying hey back. Oh, that's just adorable. Um, <laughs> anyway, when I was talking to Sean about our podcast, he actually was 
telling me how unique it was and how he loved the idea of us really honing in on how movies make us feel and not necessarily all the technical qualities. Well, Creed has all the technical qualities too. So we don't have to talk about all that over and over. But what makes this a favorite movie and, and even people who can acknowledge wholeheartedly how great of a, an arc and a film this is in general, it's because of what it does to you emotionally as a viewer. It's, the ups and the downs and, and following Creed and following Rocky and going through this this quest for his identity with him. We get to see several examples of that. And there's there's these great moments in this movie where it, it's nailed home for us. Um, the, one question where uh, he's with a trainer, I believe it is. And he says, or he's in, he's in the gym. He says, does he know you're a Creed? And... Adonis says, I don't go by that. I'm trying to make a name for my own. My name's Johnson, right? And he's very bluntly telling us and, and stating it for himself. And I feel like he, he has to continue saying that in order to make himself believe it. Because I think he's fighting against it too. And I think it might be what you're kind of getting at is like mm-hmm. it, deep down, he does wish that he could embrace it. But it's like he's punishing his father by not taking on that name in a, in a sense right. as well. Right. If you're gonna leave me, then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let them worship you more in your absence through mm-hmm. my accolades. Right. And I'm not gonna use that name to get far. I'm gonna do it on my own ability. So it's a combination yeah. of those two things. And the the interesting thing is that I think to him it comes across as some kind of weird nobility, like he feels like he's doing himself and Apollo was solid by saying, look, I'm going to make it on my own. And so at least on the surface, it looks as though he's going, Hey, yeah, that's pretty virtuous. You know, do it on your own. But he's emitting everything about himself being like, Oh, but it comes from Apollo. You wouldn't be a fighter if it weren't for Apollo. And so the, the characters around him, particularly one of the, one of the moments that stands out to me is the, the the scene where he visits Bianca gets into the fight with some of those guys and they keep calling him baby Creed and they're trying to, they think they think they're complimenting him. And he's like, no, don't do that. He even says that he says, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pay you respect. Like why are you, why are you fronting on me? Exactly. And I think it's in that moment that we really get an idea of how out of control he actually is, how much he cannot control. This is the moment that I think he, literally and metaphorically lashes out at the name creed by just wailing on this dude and it's it's very apparent that he is not in control he's tried to control the whole thing with his fighting he feels like maybe this is the place where he can control the situation because only he's in charge of what punches he takes and what punches he throws but no this is this is the real him this is the chaos that's been living i think in his life for as long as he's been a young adult. Absolutely. And two quick things. One, before I continue that thought on that, I got to tell you, so I've been to the electric factory, so it's always fun for me to watch this scene because oh, yeah. okay. I, I saw Flyleaf there. I think it was in 2010 oh, okay. when I lived in Philly for three years uh, or yeah. right outside of Philly. I was stationed in, at a, a naval air station there. So I've been to the electric factory, and it's so cool that they use this iconic venue and I'm, every time every single time i'm like oh my gosh i remember that concert so i can't help it um but yeah this leads to another kind of part of that exploration of his identity um 
when he's in jail overnight or, or being held that was almost my connecting point was the conversation he has with Rocky when Rocky comes to get him. And first of all, performance wise, it's one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen Michael B. Jordan do. I mean, like I'm, I, I'm fighting myself, choking up, talking about it and thinking about it because the way in which he generates tears, but not tears and anger and all of this is in the face in these moments. It is, it is, it's acting like that is immersion into a character that few people can do at that level. And it all culminates with, you know, he's angry. And, and, and part of this is it's, it's a, this, this train that's been slamming down the tracks at another train and you get the identity issues culminating with his lack of feeling like he has any family and, and not knowing where he stands with Rocky and wanting to be in a relationship with Rocky. And then now he's had to deal with Rocky being sick and it all ends in this scene where Rocky ultimately calls him out for it. And he, he says, forgive him. He's talking about Apollo and it's the turning point. Like it's the moment where ultimately Creed has to, or sorry, Adonis Creed has to attack that part of his personality and start to understand like this is going to be something I have to be intentionable, intentionable. That's not a word. Be intentional about changing if I'm going to get past this. So something that is always a question mark when it comes to a Rocky movie, I put that in quotes, is how is the fight, the big fight at the end, because every movie has this. How is it going to be meaningful? This conversation, I think, is the is the precursor to that. Like he's at that point, I believe that Creed, when he gets the opportunity to um, to fight the big the big fight um, with with Conlon, it's not Conlon he's fighting. He's fighting something else, and um, and that gets unpacked early on. But I think it comes to a culmination and in storytelling, this is the this is the darkness before the dawn moment. This is a this is the part right before the the third act where we get just the big course in the Rocky universe, it's the training montage and all this great stuff. But this is the moment that we have the aha moment. And you're you're exactly right. Michael B. Jordan, um, you know, Kugler's muse as I like to call him, is is fantastic in this moment because He's letting it go. This is the first time I think that we've seen him cry. Um, and I think that's by design, not because fighters aren't supposed to cry, but because we haven't seen it yet. We need to see him let that stuff go and just completely embrace it. He hasn't completely yet, but he started to in that moment. And in a lot of ways, what I think is great is that Creed's past sort of parallels a little bit of Rocky, not not. A to A, but this is where I think Rocky's significance comes in. It's not that Rocky is going to be his trainer because Rocky's awesome. Over the course of the movie, we we realize that Adonis needs Rocky, and Rocky needs Adonis equally as much. We come to find out – well, we already knew this from Balboa. Um, so I don't know if this is a spoiler for people who haven't seen Balboa, but I'm going to go ahead and I say it. I think it's but, fine at this point. Yeah, but we know a- Adrian lost a battle with cancer. And we know that he has a distant relationship with his son. Um, these are through conversations, you know, in in Creed. 
and it's not brought to the forefront, but it's there. And I think it's amplified, obviously, when he gets the news that he has cancer. And what I think is challenging for Kugler is how do you not make Rocky the centerpiece at this point? <laughs> because it's been Rocky, Rocky, Rocky for 30 plus years. How do you not derail that? Right. And I think he does it perfectly throughout this sequence. Uh, the locker room scene when, when Adonis finds the, the brochures and, and Rocky says, I'm not your family. I'm just your trainer leading into the, the fight at the factory. And then the jail sequence, I think those three scenes played together are probably the most delicate, challenging and perfectly done scenes to keep this parallel and value for both Rocky and Adonis intact without making one more important than the other. This is still Adonis' story, but now it's equally fueled by Rocky's story. And I think because one of the other big themes that's playing out here is this father-son theme, where I feel like Rocky gets some redemption in his relationship with Adonis that he didn't have with his son in this in this world. I think that those scenes really help glue that together, and they add a lot more substance. Um, it, at the very least, it really makes that that next training montage that much more uh, oh, enjoyable. Oh man, so good! You know, like, I, go yeah, ahead. I know. I agree. I I think it's it's 100% awesome that for the first time that for Rocky's perspective, this is the first fight that we've ever seen that isn't a, that he's involved in. That isn't about proving himself or doing something for himself or to save his own financial situation. This is 100% solely about his relationship with Adonis. It is sacrificial. It is for someone else. And it is a sweet, wonderful thing to say um, because he is living out and modeling a behavior that is something we all need to see and we all need to aspire to, to have that quality. And so for him... It's it's perfect because I wouldn't want to see him as the centerpiece, like you said, and and it and it could easily get away from him. I mean, I I don't know if there's probably a hundred other versions of this film that could have been nowhere close to this good because of the balance, right? Trying to keep the balance of enough screen time for Stallone, keeping him at a very integral part of this story without letting it be his movie, is tough. But he does it. And never for once do I think this is a Rocky film. And I think that's why you have fought against me and said, you know, we got to keep it separate in the rankings and such. This is an Adonis Creed film. Rocky is just a supporting character. He's a strong one that has a lot of great tie-ins and backstory that man meshes well, but it's not his film. Um, but the way that, yeah, the way that this relationship comes together is just, oh, it's, it's so sweet. And, um, and, and it, it, it plays itself out with like, perfect little bits of humor i think about that scene where you know adonis shows him right off the bat how good of a person he is like there's these qualities about adonis that kugler allows us to see without telling us in dialogue adonis just shows up and immediately starts helping empty the truck i love that scene i love it because it just tells you his character right then and there like you don't need 
a big long, you know, monologue or an argument to show us like that he's winning because he's the good guy. No, he just shows up to a situation, sees an old dude picking stuff up out of a truck and says, I'm going to do this for you because I'm young and strong. And, and even argues with Rocky and it, and it ends in that great, you know, Rocky, he badgers him and badgers him and finally Rocky gives him some drills and it has that great piece of humor where he's like, I got the cell phone. Don't worry. It's up in the cloud. And Rocky, this is probably one of my favorite bits in the whole movie. And Rocky like looks up and he's like, it's in the cloud. Like, what are you talking about? I die. I die at that scene every time. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's such a great relationship. Uh, and, and him training Adonis, um, both the times when Adonis is, you know, hardcore, you know, listening to him and the times when Rocky's wanting to train him and, and Adonis is having to quiet him down because he's got cancer and he needs to rest and the balance that, that takes place in this relationship, it all builds to this finale mm-hmm. perfectly. I mean, it, it, there is, there is so much investment that this film generates in us by the time we get there that I, I want nothing more than to see these men hug at the end right. of this movie. Yeah. And any Rocky movie that you would consider successful, at least in substantial ways, is usually built on relationships. We have Rocky's relationship with, with Mickey and his relationship with Apollo. And, I mean, obviously being a Rocky franchise, it's usually his relationship with somebody, his relationship with Adrian, Adrian's relationship with um, with with Polly. You know, you've got these these pairings that some are deeper than others. But it's really always been about relationships. It's been about uh, Balboa. Uh, surprisingly, was about had had that great relationship amplified with Rocky and Polly. You know, something that was somewhat of a, a a joke or somewhat of a tertiary relationship throughout the rest of the movies. And I think Kugler continues that in here, obviously with with Rocky and Adonis. But then we inter- we get introduced to this wonderful, wonderful love interest. In Bianca, oh my gosh, I fell in love with her. She is just fantastic. Um, I love her strength. She reminds me a lot of Adrian in terms of that kind of strong female uh, supporting character. But what's great is their relationship, not just that their relationship grows naturally, like it comes, it starts with her playing her music incredibly loud and he thinks she's being rude and he's like, I got to get up and work out in the morning. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, you got to gotta lift those weights. I mean, she's just... She quite literally, not literally, she's metaphorically pulling no punches when it comes to him. But what we find out is the reason why she plays her music so loud is because she has this progressive deafness that's happening in her in her, her ear. And so you have these three individuals in this movie. You have Rocky, you have Adonis, and you have Bianca all fighting against something within themselves. Adonis is probably the most prominent because, yes, this is not called Rocky. It's not called Bianca. It's called Creed. So rightly so, we get a lot of his his stuff. But we get Rockies as well as we've talked about. We also get Bianca and seeing how she's dealing with this. I love the fact that he asks her. He says, how do you deal with that? She goes, well, I know it's coming and I'm 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 handling it like it's it's not defeating me. Because I know it exists and I know it's going to happen and I'm going to take advantage of every moment that I have. I love that she's a musician, Aaron. I love the fact if that's not a middle finger in the face of deafness, I don't know what is. And her music is just incredible. Like I could I could just have it on repeat 
for hours because it's so soothing and incredible. I love the the first moment we get to see her actually like performing and seeing him just become enamored with her. But she is a fantastic supporting character and a big surprise for me that she didn't come across as someone that's just a love interest. Like she is a real friend to him and she's just as strong to Adonis as he needs to be. And so the moments that they have that are incredibly intimate and tender feel a lot more honest. They don't feel like movie tropes to me. I love her. Um, She's better for me than Adrian ever could be. And I, and I know that's sacrilege probably to you and that's fine. You know, part of it is Tessa Thompson is an incredibly gorgeous woman (laughs) and uh, I'm a single guy. So you know what? I'm going to love me some Tessa Thompson. And uh, I think she is incredibly attractive. And so there's that aspect of it, but you're right. You nailed it. It's the way this character is created, this being a musician who's deaf and she is so strong. And I think there's great parallels here to the Adrian Rocky relationship all throughout. Adrian starts off as the opposite of Bianca. Um, and that's not to say Bianca's better, but Adrian is a weak character who is being abused by her brother at times. And, and she has no meaning to, no way to stand up for herself. Whereas Bianca, right off the bat, it's like, no, all of this is on my terms. I mean, he, he messes up at the electric factory and she's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, sorry. And then even when he tells her, he tries, he goes to the soft store and he's like, but Rocky's sick. She listens. And then she's like, it doesn't matter. Too bad. Like we, we're, we're, we're that. Okay. I'm sorry. That sucks. Like she's very caring about him. Takes the ear, takes the, takes the, it's takes beautiful. The yeah. yeah. Love it. But then she's like, I'm done. Like I've heard you and now I'm, you know, you still messed up. That doesn't magically forgive or magically take away the actions and there's a, there's a healing period that has to happen. There's um, the, a line that she says that's kind of close to what you were talking about that really is powerful. She says, my plan has been just to do whatever I can for as long as I can. Right. That's, Sorry, that's what yeah. you were alluding to. Yeah. Um, until hearing loss takes over completely. Man, if that's not a beautiful, beautiful outlook on life when you have a disability of some kind or you have anything – I mean, shoot, maybe even when you don't have a disability, does it really matter? And I think it's so great because that's what Adonis is trying to do or wanting to do with mm-hmm. his fighting. It's not going to last forever. It didn't last forever for Rocky. But why was it great? Because he did what he wanted to do and, and what he loved to do for as long as he could. Right. Yeah. The The situation was not going to define the individual. And that, I think, is echoed in all three of these characters. It is. It is. And I think another awesome tie-in that, that we see with Bianca is there is a phenomenal cut in this film where we go from Adonis's first victory um, over the trainer's son. Sperino. Uh, it's, yeah, Sperino. And it's just – it's like all this energy in the room, right? Like he knocks him out and he's just screaming and freaking out and he's like – like he can't, he's, you know, I won, I won, and he's shocking. Bianca's jumping in the ring and all this stuff, and it cuts, and boom, he's passed out. He's all banged up on the couch <laughs> under a blanket with Bianca, and it ends up resulting in Rocky going to bed and these two, like, waking up, and then they become intimate. And after that, there's this fade-out shot, and we see a turtle in a window. And if that's not one of the most perfect callbacks – um, to Rocky and Adrian's relationship and the intimacy that they had and, and things that mattered in their lives. 
tying into this relationship. I, I just love it. And I love that, that Rocky sees it, right? He knows how important Bianca is to Adonis because of his relationship with Adrian. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, he's reliving and getting to carry on and remember his wife through helping support those two, I think. Right. I think it's important for him. It's, yeah, it's just – it's – gosh, she's a phenomenal character. Like in so many movies, she's just a girl that's thrown in, you know, but not here. Yeah. You said something that I, I wanted to talk about at some point, and uh, we've mentioned it before. It's one of my favorite concepts to talk about, uh, intertextuality, which these little callbacks that, that you've referred to and how um, – I'll say this offline, he would shoot me these Vox messages where he's like, oh my gosh, that was from this. Yeah, I can't remember that. And having this history of of these movies in your back pocket when you start watching a movie like Creed, there's a lot of this intertextuality. And if you guys don't know what this is, it's essentially a storytelling device that gives familiarity to its audience based on previous iterations. And one of the best examples, and this came from, I think, the Nerdist essay, who really introduced me to this, was the the moment when the Millennium Falcon shows up in The Force Awakens, you know, because the Millennium Falcon is definitely a supporting uh, character in the Star Wars universe. It's that feeling you get when you're like, oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, here it is. We get that in Creed. We get that in a number of different ways. And I wanted to ask you, did it – obviously that one helped. That was a great thing. And I love the fact that you connected it to Rocky and Adrian's relationship where I think a lot of people, myself included, would say, oh, yeah, it's you know Turtle. Yeah, he had Turtles when he was you know Rocky, whatever. But no, these are Turtles. They're connected, you know, all that kind of stuff. And in a movie like Creed, do you feel like there was – too much, not enough. How did the these callbacks affect you in addition to, to this one? Do you feel like that Coogler used that that device too much, or do you feel like he used it just enough and with some kind of purpose behind it? Oh, there's a ton of purpose behind it. It's beautiful. It, it is – they are perfect. I have no problem at all with them. I enjoyed every one of them. That's why I was texting you constantly about them every time I saw something. The chickens. The chicken scenes. I, dude – I had no context for that. And this is what I was saying about how, like, having watched this series now, leading up to seeing Creed, Creed was a five-star movie for me. Like, I loved this film. Now, I love it. I, I don't even, I don't know how to describe, there's, like, words to describe my love for it. Because it's, it just, it's like, it is overflowing because of the callbacks and tie-ins and the exceptional brilliance in which Kugler manages to do it. That that chicken scene is so great because of what Rocky does when he's training, and so it's it's even better when he you know makes that great joke about how the chickens are getting um, slower <laughs> in these days. Um, the turtle thing was a, a big one for me. Um, the montages, the the way in which some of the boxing matches play out. Um, yeah, I think I think that. He, he does this and it's, it's so, it's so great because of the subtlety. If it was in your face and it was over the head with it and, it, and then he was like, Hey, look at this moment from Rocky three, everybody. Hey, look, we're doing the same exact thing. Don't you love it when we do the same exact thing? 
that's the kind of intertextuality that gets old and annoying and problematic. Yeah, it definitely would leave a lot of mistrust with your audience and thinking they need to see this in order to make that connection. And the fact that seeing those in hindsight with the movies in in your in your rear view enhanced those scenes and gave them a lot more value. I think that's what intertextuality can do effectively, where it doesn't take away – it doesn't have to enhance – it doesn't have to make – it doesn't make the narrative better – it's it's not necessary for the narrative. It just makes it better. That's what I was getting at. The the big one here that I think everybody will probably remember is the Creed running montage where he Adonis is running through the streets training and uh, see I think it takes that scene from it's Rocky three right where he's training and the whole city comes behind him. Or no, it's Rocky. Yeah, yeah it's Rocky. It's Rocky two two. I mean, because I think that was part of the cartoonishness that I was trying to figure um, where, you know, like it, it's kind of like overblown and, and just an overdone in that Rocky film. Like you don't believe that the entire city is actually following him. Cause I mean, it's like a parade full of people right. that are running with him. And so what he does is he takes this little bitty tiny line that Rocky says to Creed early in the film about how, yeah, you know, the kids these days and they love their bikes. Okay, cool. And then we have that built upon because we see the kids all on their bikes coming with Creed when he goes for his run this time. And right. I just the, – the way he takes that scene from the past, brings it to the future, and ties it all in is so well done. And I think it does. It, it elevated it for me because I'm like – part of me is going, yes, this is what Rocky did. And wow, that's awesome. But it's for a completely different purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. In the Rocky film, that same exact scene is because the world knows what he's about to do. He has fans mm-hmm. in this one. It's just some kids that see Creed going out for a run and they're like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, like this is awesome. Like we want to just kind of do this on the street because you're getting us hyped up. And I just I think it's it's great. It, it, it's fitting for each character perfectly. I think so, too. The the montage itself had enough differences in it. It didn't feel the fact that there was a montage and a run in that montage, I think, was enough of a callback for me. I'm glad that there were no fist fights with meat in meat lockers. I think that was, you know, that was kind of a little bit, you know, you didn't need that for sure. But the moment that I really enjoyed from that montage is at the very end where you have the this is where it gets cinematic, not necessarily realistic, but those motorcycles doing the circle and you have Creed yelling. You have Adonis just yelling. You don't know what he's yelling. And he's looking up at Rocky, and Rocky is just, like, smiling. And I don't know that we ever saw that. That was never something – because Rocky was always doing something on his own. I mean, Adrian was with him in spirit and in physically a different place. But we never saw Mickey doing that or Apollo doing that for Rocky. And I think that that's the difference in this montage, is that it was fun to watch, but it solidified that relationship and the value of that father-son relationship. You see, and I love the fact that we see Rocky with his hat and he's pale. He's like, oh, yeah, it's not him being, you know, in great shape. It's him. He's living through cancer treatment, for goodness sake. And he gets to see and celebrate Adonis's potential 
victory or at least his potential fight coming up with Conlon. And I think he's not living vicarious. I think, I think he's just celebrating with him in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. The other big one I think is the, the way in which Kugler is able to use Creed's backstory that he creates to talk about that secret third fight. That is a, the, an awesome little kind of ending to the Rocky movie that we don't have any idea what happened. We just know that they're going to go fight. And so here we get to have an answer to that in that moment right. where Creed meets Rocky or Ad- I keep saying Creed, where Adonis meets Rocky. Um, and he's like, you know, who won? And, and it's just, that's, that was cool because for fans, like that means more. If you've mm-hmm. seen Rocky three and you understand why he's asking that question, it works in the context of the movie Creed just fine. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when it's used correctly. Yeah. Um, because it can be both. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to talk because we're obviously we're this is the big thing, but let's I want to talk about the, the two fights. Uh, unless you had anything. Two fights. Yeah, there were two big fights that. OK, that, that I want. Yeah, the the I want to talk about the Sparino fight a little bit. And I want to talk about the common fight, obviously, the common fight being the big one at the end. Yeah, I got a couple things before we move to the last fight. So let's let's okay. do everything else first. Yeah. Yeah. So to me. The Sperino fight is absolutely my favorite scene in the entire movie, hands down. It was almost my connecting point for that reason, because it's my favorite scene. I connected with it emotionally, and every time I watch it, if I watch it with somebody who hasn't seen it, I'm like, okay, if you are if you got your phone, put it down. Stop texting. I need you to watch this, okay? And I'm going to walk you through. This is my little play-by-play that I have, because I watched it with my dad for the first time. He was watching it with me. And he was he was on his phone. I was like, Dad, I'm gonna need you to. I actually rewound. It. I said, Okay, watch. Put your phone down. I want you to watch, and I want you to tell me what is unique about this scene. From the moment that Sperino and Adonis hit gloves, there is no cut away. It is a single shot. There is no cut to the corner. There's no cut to the audience. It is one continuous shot. And I love how Kugler's – I don't know who the cinematographer is in this. I should have looked it up. But I love the fact that it is so choreographed in a way that creates these intimate moments between the two fighters and then into the corner. I mean this is a two-round fight, and I think it takes like three and a half minutes for it to go from that moment all the way up until, and, until um, Adonis wins. But watching that and just seeing how it, how choreographed it is and how meticulous we get getting close to Adonis's face and then getting close to Sperino's face and then seeing the punches thrown and then going back into the, into the corner between the rounds. It is so absolutely perfected in terms of a fight sequence. It feels dramatic. It feels cinematic, but it also feels so like handheld close. Like this is what I want to see if I'm an audience. I want to be that close. And I feel like Kugler is giving us this wish that we all want to have. Like, let me be in the scene with you guys. And Kugler's like, okay. And I think it takes so much creativity and so much talent to be able to choreograph that thing because you've got a lot of stuff going on. It's not just these two fighters. It's their trainers. It's the audience reacting to it because the camera doesn't just stay on one or the other. It stays, it stays with the action. 
and it moves with the action. And so we're in that constantly. We don't even take a breath. And I asked my dad afterwards, I said, do you know what just happened? And he goes, no. I said, no, you don't know because you wouldn't have noticed. One continuous cut, and like no cuts, one continuous shot. And he's like, whoa. And I was like, do you want to go back? He's like, no, no, it's getting late. We need to finish the movie. And I'm like, okay, but you need to go back and see it at some point because it's pretty fantastic. I just, it's a, it's a fantastically choreographed and a fantastically well put together scene, but I think it enhances the fight itself. It's something that I don't feel like has ever been done in a boxing sequence. There's always been hard cuts here and there to amp up the drama and amp up the action. Again, risk, high risk to do this, but Kugler does it. Kugler and company are fantastic in this. Yep, it is the single best boxing fight scene that we've ever had, in my opinion as well, um, as far as on screen. I, It is completely immersive, and there's so much emotion poured into that, because I think it's 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 a it's escalator elevated for us because we don't know the outcome when he goes to fight conlin you know that one of two things he's going to have he's going to win or he's going to lose right but you know it's going to be the end of the film when this is happening mid film you really don't know you know like the film you could like you could still see how the movie could progress if he loses and you could see how the movie would progress if he wins and I think that there's an element to it of mystery that just makes it so much more compelling um, for me. Like, it's not totally predictable uh, the first time you see it. Um, and then you just, yeah, it is, it's incredible to watch. I mean, I, I have, I've rewound it myself before several times and just watched it over again because it is, it's amazing. Um, and, and, but B. Jordan is just, he's unreal man like i said i love how he lets out the screams like there's a couple times in this movie and he this is one of them where he's just like you can feel the emotion coming out of him when he wins this fight and it's like that's what it should be like like 100 percent. like that's how it should feel right you just beat somebody that was the number whatever like ranked fighter but he's he's ranked he's up there like you should you won your first real professional fight that's not against somebody in Mexico and Tijuana, you know, on the underground. So right. you should be letting out that emotion, and he does. Um, and it's it's like a validation of his skills for himself. It's like that moment he realizes, like, oh, my gosh, I, okay, I've been saying I believe in myself all this time. I just proved it. Yeah. It's a very raw scene, one that doesn't – and I think because it doesn't cut, it makes it feel natural. It makes it feel raw. Like it makes it feel like everything – is happening just in the moment without any kind of acting. And so that's what makes the acting so good is the fact that it's one take. And so what you're capturing isn't manipulated. It's really just a almost a real-time reaction of what you're experiencing as an audience, which I think is what makes it feel a lot more grounded. Yeah, I do too. Well, can we can I knock out a couple quick quickies before we hit the final fight? One two punch it. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. I'm gonna, there you go. Um, some things I love about this movie so much, and I just can't go without mentioning them on this podcast. I love the way in which Kugler continues on what began a couple films ago, where they started working in modern day announcers, working in ESPN type coverage and TV usage. They did that 
is in Rocky Balboa to great effect with the PTI segments and like the conversations on Sports Center about you know which one of these guys it could. I love that part of Rocky Balboa where he does the simulations. You oh, know, so good. Like, so it's good. so realistically done and makes you. I love seeing those characters and like watching it and going, man. So, somewhere those guys are actually watching this stuff that I watch all the time, and it could be really hurtful. Um, but I love how it elevates it here. It's like Scott Pilgrim esque when the boxers come on it's like everything kind of slows down and gets stylized and it pops up their names and oh, their yeah. records and i'm mm, I'm, I'm, hump, I'm pumped i'm like i get hyped up because of that because it feels to me like i'm watching actual boxers walking into the ring like i'm got hbo you know pay-per-view up and it's happening so i think that and then working in Again, like ESPN segments, and there's a there's a special, like a documentary that plays briefly, talking about Conlon and his history, and like that stuff. It's it's so good, man. It's just so good. Like it emotionally takes me to this place where my love of sports is marrying to my love of cinema, and my love of an emotional story, and it's putting them all together, yeah. um, in a great way. Yeah, in a lot of ways, those those segments feel like a 30 for 30. Like I'm watching something that is just completely like a documentary. And I think Kugler recognized that portion of Rocky Balboa that, felt, that, was, that was really, really well done is taking what feels cinematic and making it realistic. I mean, if, if the character of Rocky has been elevated above and beyond superstardom and if he has elevated this character to – just grand heights, where do you go from there? How do you make this superhero become heroic? You know, how do you bring him back to earth? Well, you put him in real situations and you give him vulnerabilities that are very much validated in the world of professional boxing. And so where that was sort of experimented with in Rocky Balboa, Kugler goes full on with this. And I, I thought that was fantastic with the with the the little featurette that Adonis is watching on his iPad. I'm like, oh, did that really happen? Is that really – does he really exist? Are you kidding me? And so cool. knowing that it's probably going to be one of those two guys that he ends up fighting. I mean at that point I didn't know if it was going to be Wheeler or if it was going to be Conlon. But in any case, I was like, oh, either one of those guys is going to be awesome because they're legit. you know. <laughs> and And by using things like ESPN, PTI – to validate that, it really puts me as an audience into a more realistic kind of mindset as opposed to saying I'm in a movie. I'm actually just – I'm watching something for real. Yeah, another example of everything tying together, by the way, is that um, Danny Wheeler's trainer is actually the son of the trainer for Apollo. He looks very oh. familiar, and I, I had to check it out. I mean everything ties in in this film. I was like, man, he sounds and looks a lot like Apollo's trainer does. And so I went and looked it up, and he, sure enough, he is um, – he is so it's it's pretty cool, like the actor or the or the or the character. No, like the character. Okay, gotcha. That's gotcha. you know what I mean. Like yeah, yeah. that's a fun little additional thing. Um, a couple other things I really love about this movie. A couple scenes. So I love I love the line that Rocky, t- you know, when that he's training Creed at the beginning and he puts him in front of the mirror. He says, "This guy staring back at you is the toughest opponent you got." I believe that in boxing and I believe that in life. I'm gonna leave the two of you alone for a little while. Good luck. Like that, <laughs> dude, so good. Like, so good. I mean, great advice. Like Rocky said, in boxing and in life. Um, he also says to Adonis, you can't learn anything if you're talking. It's fact of life. 
You can't listen if you're talking. Simple things, but in context of this movie, makes perfect sense, and it's great advice again. I um, used that advice this morning with my kids in my small group <laughs> at our church. I was like, they kept talking. I was like, if you're talking, you're not listening. I need you to listen to me, okay? Rocky Balboa. That's please. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one punch at a time, one step at a time, one round at a time, the music pumping, getting everything going in that sequence is it's a hype-worthy moment. Again, Like that montage is awesome. Um, I love the fact that they use Stitch in this film. His, Jacob Duran is his real name, um, but he's a very famous cut man for UFC. Um, okay. He goes by the name Stitch. He is actually the most famous of them all when it comes to that job. And so I love that they, they do things like him and Bruce Buffer. Like it really gives – tying in with the ESPN elements, it gives it mm-hmm. that sense of realism. Um, one of my other favorite things, Conlon's manager – I thought this was such a simple little thing addition thrown in there, but didn't have to be. But it also made me care. Conlon's manager tells him when he's arguing about taking the fight with Creed, he says, I don't care how you're remembered. I care about your kids having a roof over their heads when you're done. And I was like, man, like this is great stuff. Every single character and motivational wise, like normally you're going to get a villain. He's fighting, right? Who, oh, we're all doing this for some sort of selfish reasons or money. No, even Conlon's manager, who's trying to make this fight, is doing it because he's being a real manager. He's trying to take care of his fighter who's done some stupid things and put himself in a terrible position and put his family in a terrible position. And Conlon's like being a baby about it. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. He's like, I don't care. I don't care what you want. I'm, I'm taking care of your kids. I just thought that was an, it's one line in the movie, but it's, it was really powerful. It stuck out to me. Um, one of the scenes that I, I this was so almost a CP for me. There's like ten of these almost CPs for me, but Rocky <laughs> and uh, and Adonis are talking about the fight. It's that conversation where he's trying to convince him to fight Conlon, or he's asking Rocky. He's like telling him, you know, like you know, should I do it? Should I should I not do it? And Rocky says, it "Ain't easy being in your corner, kid." And then Creed tells him that the only way he'll do it is if Rocky is in his corner and that it's Rocky's choice. And then Rocky says, okay. And this, this moment again, like I was talking about that raw emotion that he lets out, Michael B. Jordan does. He just gives this emotional scream. He's like, I'm fighting pretty Ricky Collin. And I'm just like, like, that is how it would go down. Like that's the feeling. He can't believe it. He's in utter complete shock that his life is taking this turn. So believable to me um yeah it, it, dude there's just there's so many i mean i could i could go on and on and on the the dinner table scene if if i had to pick one favorite like forward sentence out of this movie <laughs> it would be so if I, or five word sentence it'd be or, okay it's six i can't even count anymore it'd be adonna saying so if i fight you fight and then them giving each other the fist pump like that thing is oh i mean mm, like it gets you, man. Um, it's it, yeah. it's just so good. Everything about this yeah. is building you to this final fight and this final sequence. And so it all matters. It matters not just for Creed. It not, doesn't matter just for Rocky. It matters for every single person in this movie. Um, and that is an amazing thing. So this is the big fear, is you have a series of movies that either – make the final fight about the opponent or about 
Rocky in, or in this case Adonis about the the protagonist. Three and four were clearly about the opponent. Three less so than four. Four was just straight up. I'm gonna. I need to beat this guy. Whereas three, I think, had a lot more stuff in the basement that that Rocky had to had to overcome. But equally, you know, Cleverlang was the bad guy. And I think that I think that Creed as a movie parallels more to Rocky three than anything else, because you have what I see is you have a character like Conlon that's not quite as compelling as someone like Apollo or. Um, well, really Apollo, <laughs> but you get enough about him and particularly that scene with his, his manager where he has a little bit of agency. I don't know that for me, it felt a little flat, but not terrible. Like I felt like he was the guy he, I would have put him in the final fight and not necessarily Sperino, even though I enjoyed the Sperino fight a lot more in terms of the actual fight itself. Conlon seemed like the logical place to go in terms of having something to win, having something to uh, to fight for. And for Conlon, he thinks it's his legacy, whereas I love the fact that his manager says, no, it's not your legacy. It's to put food on your kid's table when you go to prison because you're an idiot. And so it sounds like to you, this was a good choice, like that Conlon was – was a good match for Creed in terms of cinematic storytelling. Oh, Conlon's a fantastic match. And the first time I ever saw this film, I felt exactly like you just described, Patrick. I felt like, uh-oh, I'm not necessarily into this guy. Who is this random British guy we're fighting? This, there's no reasoning for it. But because mm -hmm. of how Cougar builds him up, and it, it, it's it's so simple. Like, because of that, it makes me confused in the end. Or I guess it doesn't make me not I, – I always want – Adonis to win this fight, but it makes me not feel bad that Conlon wins because I now have a reason to celebrate Conlon winning. Right. Um, that goes beyond the awesome moment of sportsmanship where that I really like in sports when he, you know, P two people have been playing up this villainous relationship and he comes over and he's like, you know, respect um, you, the future of this division or whatever. Like I love those moments in sports mm -hmm. where someone recognizes someone else's talent um, but it goes beyond that because, like I said, you you know that Conlon winning has a very positive purpose in, in someone's life. Sure. Yeah, I, I think this is a case of having your cake and eat it, too. I think this is where Kugler did that. He didn't – again, it still feels a little flat to me because I kind of wanted – I didn't get enough of Conlon on screen to have that kind of sympathy. That one line helped, but I don't know that – it completely sold me on Conlon as he wasn't a villain. I just, I didn't think that he was compelling enough to really feel like the fight, the fight's outcome mattered. Like it would have been. And to me, that's why I think the outcome of the fight was okay for me. It, it was fine because it was never, I never felt like it was about Creed having to win. It was about him having to do it, having to fight period, having to have, those two names on his trunks <laughs> and represented that scene, by dude. I'm sorry. That scene. I, did I text you? I think I did text yes. you. I did not yeah. remember. I didn't notice it. This is the first time I've seen this movie like five times. I did not realize they had Creed Ed Johnson on them. I thought yep. they just said Creed. Yeah. 
embracing the both the both worlds. There. Way more meaningful. Yeah. When I saw that they had Creed and Johnson on them. Yeah. But in general, I think having having the fight with Conlon was was good. I liked the outcome of the fight. I think again, it satisfied both sides for the movie and for a, for a film that had so much going for it, I can forgive the having your cake and eat it too, because I think it created the least amount of tension for, for me as an audience. I forgot. I've forgotten about Conlon. I mean, he, he was kind of forgettable to me by the end of that. I'm like, okay, good. I guess your kids are taken care of. You're going to prison now. I, I was really more invested in Creed. And I think that's what Coogler wanted. I do too. And I think that that is a positive, correct choice and, and a good one to, to use for this film because it's so deeply about Adonis and Rocky that we don't need to worry too much about the opponent. Like the opponent right. has to be there. He has to fight somebody. Right. Um, and Conlon is a, like we've discussed why, but the reason specifically, like I think it would have been much more predictable and in line with past. You would have been giving a more of a reason for the fight if you made it, you know, Wheeler's, new protege or somebody like that. I think that there mm-hmm. could have been a little bit more of a, Oh, we're replaying some of the Rocky type storylines here right. where Conlon felt like a fresh, fresh challenger for right. him. And the, and the outcome felt more in line with the original Rocky, obviously, because it was the same outcome. But I think the journey getting there was completely different. Like the reason going 12 rounds with Apollo for Rocky was different than finishing the fight with Conlon was for Adonis because it connected more to Rocky four and what happened in that moment with Rocky and Apollo in his exhibition fight with, uh, with Drago. So I think that this is where the value of a journey really gets amplified, even though the ending is almost parallel to something you're already familiar with because the journey is refreshing and the journey is somewhat new that elevates the ending. Like the ending doesn't, I won't say it doesn't matter as much, but it's, it's forgivable that it has similarities to a previous entry. You can't make stuff new all the time. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. And as our friend James Harleman would say, there are no new ideas, just refreshed ones. There are no new stories, just refreshed stories. Yeah. And to me, this is a refreshing story. So yay, Kugler, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, before we get into our connecting point, I just wanted to give some attention to the very last scene uh, when they're walking, running, moving up the steps, that iconic steps uh, towards the what would be the statue. And it's now you know gone there. But Which, by the way, when I visited you in Philadelphia, I got the pleasure of having my picture taken in front of the Rocky statue that sits down at the steps of the, uh, of the museum. Yeah. And I wish that would have meant more to me at the time. Like, I wish I would have, uh, I wish I would have cared at that moment, you know? Yeah. Um, Now I have to go get stationed in Philadelphia again or something. But, uh, um, but before I, I, I wasn't quite done yet. Just so you know, I I got, I, I want to, like, bask in this final scene a little bit here, um, before we get to the connecting point. Cause I just, there's, I know the, um, the Sperino fight as a whole, I agree with you is the best fight scene we've ever seen, but the best fight shot of the entire film for me happens in this final fight. Um, 
it's right after we get some of that wonderful more ESPN commentating because we have Max Kellerman, an actual commentator, saying he's pointing out that nothing matters if Creed can't fight, right? They're going into the battle, and he's like, all right, we're here now. Creed is, you know, he has looked like he's the part, but if he can't actually fight, then he's going to get killed and none of this actually matters. And he's absolutely right. Like all the pomp and circumstance, all of the name stuff, like none of it, none of it matters if he can't box, um, but can he box? And so we get into the fight and of course he's getting his, his butt kicked at first because he has to be and he's fighting like the world champ. And then we get this round two, as I call it, this brawl sequence. And there is a single kind of quick take here where Creed hits him finally and makes him bleed. And the look on Conlon's face is just one of the best shots, the most priceless things in this film, where that realization hits him and he's like, oh, this is real. And it goes from... You know, him being a cocky guy with his hands behind his back, a la Roy Jones Jr., to, like, I'm in a fight. And all of a sudden, they just start trading blows, man. And they are walloping each other, street file style, fight style, like, back and forth. And the camera is circling them just really fast, just going around and around and around. And it is mind-blowing. And I'm like, I can feel this intensity and heat inside me. At that point, like you, I, you cannot be in, in, not more invested in this fight, and like this is why it all all of this leads through the tension of how the fight builds to that point where you know I'm standing up in the theater pumping my fist because of the filming being done like this, and then leading us to you know these these great conversations that they have um, that before everything finally comes to an end. But it, it's just I loved the way we got to the final part of this fight, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you needed to have that moment where just like in Rocky four, Rocky cuts, he cuts him. He's, he's not a machine. He's a man, you know, that kind of thing. And it is, I imagine it's really challenging to try to create equality between two athletes who are, on paper, as translated by the the screenwriter, not equal. I mean, this is what his second official fight, where he's you know he's been fighting in Tawana, but whatever. This is his second official fight. I mean, he should be getting pummeled, and so you needed to create some opportunity for him to just at least weaken the the champ in some way. Um, I think it's been done before, but I love that shot too. And the fact that it does lead into more of what we eventually enjoy about this scene, uh, I think it, it helps amplify the fight as a whole for sure. Yeah, and I think that there's a, a subtle difference between Adonis and Rocky and that Rocky is built around the idea that you just take punishment as much as possible. Like his whole mythology is around the idea that no one can take as much as Rocky can. Like, he takes a beating in every single fight. Like, not not just a beating, like, every boxer takes a beating. But Rocky, it's all built around you just, he lets you knock him out over and over and over and knock him down until until you wear down in the very, very end, and then he wins, you know. Um, whereas I feel like Creed is being created more of like his father, where he's a legitimate, offensive 
boxer. And I feel like we see that more than we see in most of the Rocky films. Like most of the Rocky wins in the boxing arena that we see are, like I said, him getting beat, 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 and then like a power power punch punch that ends it. Whereas with Creed, you see him actually, I feel like you see him being more of a technical boxer than just taking the punch. I mean, he takes the punishment. Look at that eye. It's, but, but he's in, I mean, in, in, in actuality, I think he's in a lower weight class than Rocky was. Like, I think he was in a light middleweight. I hope class. so. Yeah. I mean, he was not a, he's not a heavyweight boxer. So his, his training is leaning towards that kind of style where he's a lot faster. Like going back to that first scene where we see him right before he goes into his first fight in Tawana, how fast he is and how he's punching the, punching the brick wall, which is just incredibly like badass. You know, it's just awesome. But that gives us an in- inclination of the kind of build he is. Like he's not a heavyweight boxer. He's built for speed and not for uh, and not for sh- sh- power and strength like that. Like what Rocky was. So it makes sense for him to to fight that way, to not necessarily just take punches and then have a massive blow. Although I'd love to see him have a little uppercut. That'd be kind of cool. Um, anyway. Creed two, Creed two, Creed two, the uppercut. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> All right. Well, as I was mentioning before, there's that last scene when they go up the, quote, Rocky steps. I don't know what you'd call them uh, officially, but I love the fact that it represents this this sort of victory for both Rocky and Adonis in fighting their respective battles. We don't know for sure that Rocky's in remission or that he's cured of his cancer. We know he's been in treatment, but maybe that'll play out in the sequel. Um, oh, my gosh, if Rocky dies in Creed 2, I'm going to be really sad. Um I don't think that's going to happen, but whatever. Stranger things have happened. We've had people killed off that we don't expect, so whatever. But I love the fact that, that scene exists, and I and I love the frailty of, of Rocky. You know, he's he's been taking his radiation and, and his, his cancer treatments, and he's just kind of trudging up the stairs. And even as funny as it is, you have Adonis going, "Come on, you're almost there. You're almost there. Don't give up. Don't give up." And it's just, it's a great way to end the movie on this iconic scene. You know, going up the steps. Uh, Rocky Balboa, I think, has one of my favorite stills in photography of any movie. And it's during the credits. If you get a chance to go back, it's got Rocky in his his gray uh, outfit and he's got his hands behind his back. He's on top of the steps and he's off to like the right and he's looking out over Philadelphia with the credits rolling. I want a poster of that because that, to me, I think is the exclamation point on the the character of Rocky Balboa, just sitting up there and just acknowledging this is this is a significant part of my character running up these steps. And I like the fact that Creed ends in that regard with them both going up there. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful ending. It's a perfect ending, and I love that it doesn't linger. Once they get up there, it gives us that same shot with Creed. And Rocky and his arms around him, and they pull each other close, and they just look out of the city. And it and it and it happens fast. I mean, it's not like a thirty second like let's hold on this and force you to to take it in. It you just see it, and then it's over. Um, but it is it is the perfect perfect ending. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Well, as we go from perfect endings, let's go to perfect moments as we kind of finish up with our connecting points. And again, I'm going to be selfish, so I'm going to go ahead and start us off. I believe that this moment stands out as probably the definitive connecting point. If you're not emotional at this point, you are you have no soul, you have no heart, 
you must be the Tin Man before he meets the wizard because you, if you're not crying or at least having some kind of like trembling lip, I don't even want to know you, okay? And this is the conversation just before the final round. Uh, first of all, I think it's fantastic that the 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 ref is saying, you know, he's covering up an eye and trying to get Adonis to say, you know, how many how many fingers am I holding up to see if he can see out of his eye? And of course, you know, Rocky is cheating the system, you know, tapping him on the neck. It's Stitch. Oh, was it Stitch? I thought yeah, because okay. he's got a glove on his oh, hand. That's right. And the first that's thing right. I thought about was like, man, you know what? This is kind of wrong. Like we're rooting for a guy who is clearly not physically able to be out there. Like this is dangerous. But it parallels a little bit. Not a little bit. It parallels quite a bit of the exhibition match with yes. Apollo and with uh, you know with with his fight with uh, with the big Russian and and it's completely intentional because at this point here's Rocky having another crisis of like oh my gosh I cannot let what happened to my best friend happen to his child and it starts with Adonis saying I have to prove it. And Rocky says, prove what? To which Adonis responds, that I'm not a mistake. And there's this beat of like two seconds. I was watching this with my wife. My wife is adopted, and she cares deeply about the idea of being chosen and being part of a new family. And I remember glancing over at her, and I remember her just kind of I, – I, I think I remember – I want to say I'm going to believe that she was tearing up because that is a moment – of choosing your family and choosing to be valued. And it's just fantastic. I'm not a mistake. <laughs> you're not a mistake, dude. I just wanted to yell. I said, you're not. You never were a mistake. So two things here are impactful. First, the look on Rocky's face when he hears that, part of that two-second beat, like a dad who feels like this is the revelation that he didn't see coming. Wow. This is Oscar-worthy. This is why he was probably nominated, and I'm frustrated with you, Aaron, that he was not given the Oscar. Should have won it. Should have should have won, won it. I, I will stand by that best best supporting actor performance of that year. Yeah, and secondly, this is the moment that shows us something about Adonis that he does not want to be known as a bastard child. Doesn't want to be known as someone who is just a mistake of somebody, a product of someone's just complete frivolousness in living a. A, a wild life. This is something that he's fought by not taking his dad's name, but in finishing the fight by standing at the end, not winning, but by standing at the end, he proves not only that he's not a mistake, but that he is a creed. He proves the people wrong, not wrong, but he proves the people who thought, can he box? He can, he can take it. He can go through 12 rounds and he can stay up there. He can stay standing and it's this crazy duality of being both proud of who he's become at that moment as well as where he's come from. There's this reconciliation that exists in that final round with every punch that he's taking, with every punch that he's given back. It's like he's getting to this resolution. And when that final bell rings, I feel like for him it's that way of saying, yes, I finally exercised this demon inside of me. And I've said – I'm now whole again. I can now come to grips with who I am and I can now be proud of who I am based on where I come from and where my past has kind of helped define who I am. It's fantastic. It's probably, it, yeah, it's my connecting point, obviously, 
but I think it stands up as being one of the big moments in cinematic history for me in the in the franchise at least in the whole Rocky universe. Oh man, I tell you, like this is this is all part of that moment where I stood up and and the theater. So it's it's definitely one of the better cinematic moments in history to me as well. So you don't have to apologize for that at all. Um, it's it's my CP as well because it either you just can't. Then nothing else. <laughs> everything builds to this. I mean, everything else that is so important. That's what makes this movie incredible because of that. But it this is the culmination. Um, and it's because it is that perfect combination of meaningful character development and rousing cinematic storytelling. We often get either or in a movie, but to give us both is special. We have the emotional side with Rocky telling Adonis that if he's going to fight cancer, that Adonis better fight too. Kind of reversing what Adonis said to him earlier motivating him we have the technical side with rocky saying bring back all the pain that's ever hurt you put it in your fists and put it in his body and i promise you his head will fall i get i i have chills repeating that line but i promise you his head will fall like he is oh like he's he's training him it's all about the fight but it's it's about so much more than just the fight too and he comes to that, and then Rocky says, I want you to get up and go knock him down. And I know you can because you're a creed, and I love you, kid. Oh, and it is this moment, Patrick, in the movie, <laughs> when he verbalizes that relationship, I, I'm glad you're boxing, that we've seen growing and that Adonis has needed so badly the look on both of their faces that you pointed out. We cue the Rocky music. We've waited the whole film. Kugler has withheld the freaking music all film. Now, we've had other themes play throughout, right? There's been hints of them, but we've never gotten the Rocky music until now. He holds my dad, it. Yeah, my dad – I'm sorry. My dad said, there it is. He's That's been the point. Yes. It. He's been waiting for it. This is the scene. This is where I jumped because I was like, you, you made me earn it. <laughs> like I emotionally – it is there. And so he stands up. It's close up on B. Jordan's face. He's getting up to go fight the final round. He walks up to Conlon. It's a fight. It's the knockdown. The best slow motion knockdown earlier in this film, by the way. I gotta get to that after this. Um, happens. But he knocks him down. We think he might actually win. And then it's over and Marianne screams, that's what I'm talking about. And so even his mom, who's been like this supporting character, like having her rooting for him in this moment. Oh gosh, gosh, gosh. Like that's where I jumped and you cannot help, but feel every bit of this film. Like you, you want to, you want to cheer for him. I don't care if he's fictional anymore at this point. He's real to me. And that's amazing, amazing filmmaking, uh, in my opinion. Um, because I, I care more about this guy than, than I do, like I said, real real sporting stars, many of them, uh, because of what he's done in building these characters. And I love – you mentioned you know, how essentially it's that reconciliation for both of them and that acceptance. Uh, it, it comes there at the end with these great lines from the announcer. The announcer says, he's no longer just the namesake of Apollo Creed. 
He's the living embodiment of it. And then the announcer in the ring asks him, what would you tell your father, you know, if he was here? And Adonis says, I'd just tell him that I love him. And I know that he didn't leave me on purpose. And I'm proud to be a Creed. And it's like, it's because of how perfect it is. Like, I couldn't have written it, I couldn't have imagined it being better, that it makes me nervous about Creed 2. Like, I'm I'm simultaneously excited, of course, like, hyped beyond belief, but also, like, I don't know where the character can go after that, <laughs> that could ever live up to that moment. Um, yeah. Yeah, when I, when I heard about the sequel, and I, I, it's the same way I felt having seen Rocky five and knowing that there was another Rocky movie that was coming out and going, don't do this to me. Don't break my heart again. It's different, obviously, because my heart's not broken here. It's like, don't mess with perfection. You've told this great story. He doesn't need to go any further. And then you give me Drago and I'm like, okay, well maybe, maybe you can go further. So my hope honestly is not that I'd be entertained, but that they don't, they don't, mess up the character i mean creed has been adonis creed has been crafted in a way through kugler's writing and direction that to deviate him it's it's the way i felt about chris hemsworth's thor going from the original thor to ragnarok you know where as much as i don't really care for this i mean it's not one of my favorite series in the mcu it was such a deviation and I don't want that. I don't want this to turn into a rock and roll movie where we're getting the popcorn fun that, you know, was part of Rocky Four that I enjoy. Yes, I fully enjoy that. But you haven't given me time to enjoy Creed as a, you know, Adonis Creed as a character through several movies before giving you that. I felt like you gave me enough of Rocky that you could deviate and say, okay, we're going to have some fun here to go from. I'm just fearful. I really am fearful. I know. I, I, I don't. Oh, we have to cover it. We have to cover it. We have to cover it. That's what I keep saying. So I'm like, don't do this. I'm going dark this week on social media because Smart I know you're, seeing, you're seeing it tomorrow. And I just, if I'm going to be let down, I want to be let down on my own terms and not on anybody else's. So do you want to know if I respond positively to it no. or not? No, I don't okay. because because that's going to inform. I know my, it's. I know it is. It's totally going to do it. Totally hard. And I'll say this, you know, inside baseball, I will not be able to see this until a week from tonight, until a week from when we're actually recording. So I'm going to be coming in hot, either hot mad or hot excited and emotional. So I like it. I'm going to be like, <laughs> I can't believe it, you know. And hopefully, positive words. We're going to stay positive, and at the very least, I hope that it lives up to the kind of Rocky Four action. At the very least. I hope yeah. it's a lot better than that, though. That's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for. I'm thinking it will be. Um, I, real briefly, I kind of almost got sidetracked there because there was something I really wanted to mention in case folks don't know about this. But I feel like when Michael B. Jordan gets knocked out, Adonis does in the, the fight with Ricky Conlon, it is the greatest slow-motion knockout in movie history to me. Um, the way that that, sh- that f- sh- shot is filmed, the reason it looks so real in slow motion as he's falling to the ground is because Michael B. Jordan actually got knocked the F out. Okay. So he, when, when he was filming, um, he took a punch to the face from British pro boxer, Tony Bellew, who is pre Ricky Conlon on the set. 
and it wasn't an accident because earlier as Jordan was, was doing the circuit for um, media uh, and he was talking on the Bill Simmons podcast about this, he said the script had called that his character get, gets hit in the face directly and Coogler really wanted to do the shot in slow motion. So Jordan was explaining in slow motion, you know, you can really see the misses and the space between the punches. So when you're full speed, you can't, your eyes can't discern that as well. But in slow motion, it's very obvious. So all of a sudden, he said, you just hear this snickering from over in the corner. And everybody's like, what? What? And Sly says, man, you got to take it. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, no, you got to take a real punch. And then he does. And he gets himself knocked out in order to film that shot. That That is devotion to your craft. Like, that is Christian Bale-level devotion to your craft. That is amazing, and I, I would know, never right? do that. But, <laughs> but I am so glad he did because I love that moment in the movie. And and, it, and it's because of how realistic that knockout looks. Um, you yeah. know, the way his mouth, like, oh, man, it's, it's crazy. The letters? Yeah. yeah. I, I love the wake-up that he gets, that, that yeah. the fact that it wasn't in, that it was not in slow motion, that it was very, like, real-time, like, <gasps> you know, like you just come back from the dead. Yeah. And, uh, and then having him get up and, and just, yeah. So B. Jordan, go for it, man. You're That's awesome. Right. <laughs> Good stuff, man. This was amazing. And um, my hope is that this time next week we're saying the same thing about Creed 2. Um, and if not, we're going to stay positive because <laughs> that's our creed. That's our motto, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. We're not – we're going to enjoy that movie. There is yeah, no There is no doubt that we're not going to – or we're going to – yeah. We're going to like it. It's a yes. matter of will we love it. Yeah. So that's something to, to look forward to next week. But in the meantime, the conversation is creed. And so if you want to keep the conversation going, Aaron, where can people find you on social media to keep that rocking and rolling? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Feelin Film is the best place to do that. And you can find me in our amazing Facebook discussion group. And we would love to have you come be a part of that as well. You can find links in the show notes. Um, I'll also throw a link to that Cinescope episode you did on Rocky into the show notes. So if you're curious about that one, just go there. Um, you can find a link to uh, the Facebook group on our website also. And I believe if you just type in Feel and Film into the search bar, at this point we've been around long enough, it should come up. Um, we'd love to have you come join us. Fantastic. And if you want to keep the conversation rolling with me or find me on social media, I'm at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to at me or tag me so that uh, I can see what you're talking about and join the conversation. So, Patrick, I think it goes without saying, but this is definitely a trophy room film. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If it wasn't obvious already people were not listening since we just went well over like over two hours talking about this yes. movie i think our love yes. for this movie is definitely worthy of this one these are this is two five stars that means it goes in our trophy room you can find that on our letterbox page listeners if you're curious follow us there we have a, a list of our trophy room films and those are the ones that patrick and i both give a five stars to so they creed is creed is so. in they are rare but creed is in there so it's always good to have one in there and glad creed made the cut no pun intended or all pun intended whatever it's a box you whatever we're all good so all right that's all for us guys thank you for listening until next time stay positive and keep feeling dumb.